0: Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. Special greetings to those joining us upstairs and at Crossroads and uh, Highland Park. So last week, uh, we finished up this relationship series and I talked about uh, the importance of friends throughout life and we looked at how life unfolds through the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond. Today, I want us to keep looking ahead. Uh, I want us to think about Living life on purpose, Jesus did, he expects us to, and part of that means that we are living today in light of the fact that we're going to live forever, and eternity changes everything. If we're going to live forever, then it seems uh, important to think about how we're investing this life. If we're going to live forever, and forever is going to be influenced by today, then we need to be thinking about the things that we do that are going to matter, not just tomorrow and next week and even 10 years from now, but 10,000 years from now and a million years from now, right? I mean, eternity is a, is a numbing kind of concept. It is, a, it is a life-altering concept. I want us to think about what it looks like to be living today in light of eternity, especially since we have an assignment. And, and we can make this assignment complicated, and sometimes I do, but we can make it simple as well. And so when we talk about this simply, we're challenged to love God, serve others, and reach one. Love God, serve others, and reach one. And I want us to focus on the last, the third of those reach one, because I think it's not that we got to love God and serve others down perfect, but I think we're better at that than we are reaching out. Yeah, there's a lot of fear around this, and a lot of confusion, a lot of angst, and a lot of oh, I don't, 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 you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk with anybody. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to. I don't. Evangelism is a bad word in many people's minds, and so I just want to. We're going to talk about this in the context of asking you, challenging you to bless other people, and by bless we mean something very specific. The B stands for that we begin with prayer conversations and relationships with other people, we we pray for them. And then we listen to them. And then we eat a meal with them. Uh, We invite them over for food. Jesus did this all the time. He went to people's houses. Food was a big part of of just getting to be a friend and knowing people. So begin with prayer, listen, eat, uh, serve. And and then uh, as God allows, you have an opportunity to share your story so this this series is called "Invest and Invite." We invest in people. we love people, we serve people we're we, People are not projects for us, but we are we are trying to be great friends, and then, as God allows we uh we invite them to take a next step, whatever that next step might be. It might be that. You give them a book to read. It might be you invited them to attend your small group. It might be that you invite them over to your house for, for, for a meal. And we, so we're going to have a, the, the challenge is coming, just so you know, June 9th, we're encouraging everybody to have a barbecue in their neighborhood. And if you can't do June 9th, do June 10th, what do we care? It's just, just you just open up your home and there's no agenda. You invite your neighbors and you say, hey, well, we're going to put some burgers on the grill. Why don't you come on over? And that's it. That's just, it's just be a good neighbor. Create those opportunities and let God do the other things. So then the, the doors will open over time. And you have an opportunity to invite people to take a next step. To come to the forum or whatever it might be. So... This series is called An Invest and Invite. It's three weeks, and today I want to do something very simple. I just want to sort of set the, the framework, sort of theologically I want to ground this. I want us to think about uh, who our neighbor is. And to that end, I want us to go to the Good Samaritan, uh, which, is, uh, which is a parable. So parables are short little stories that have a big spiritual point. And uh, I have argued, when we were going through Luke, I said, you know, many people misunderstand parables. And uh, the Good Samaritan is a very famous parable, but I think a lot of people in particular misunderstand the Good Samaritan. So I think a lot of people read the parable of the Good Samaritan, and they say, well, a Christian is someone who cares for people who are hurting. And that's a, I mean, if that's your takeaway, that's a great takeaway. It's just not the takeaway from the parable. We should be those that are caring for other people. We should be loving other people, especially the poor, especially uh, AIDS orphans, right? There's, there's people that we need to be particularly dialed into because God has told us, widows and orphans and the poor and others, we need to be particularly mindful of their needs. So it would be, it's great to say, I need to, to sort of do more on that front. But that's not really the point of the Good Samaritan. So I want us to to turn there if you want to follow along. It is uh, Luke chapter 10 beginning with verse 25. So there, Luke 10, verse 25, we read, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test. So lawyer in this context it uh, doesn't mean a mergers and acquisitions guy. It's not a tax attorney. It's this is a religious leader. It's a Pharisee. So in first century Israel, lawyers were focused on religious law. This is a Pharisee, and and this Pharisee doesn't have a question. He's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to catch Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus on record saying something that he will later be able to, that they can later use against him. Jesus, to this Pharisee, to this lawyer, Jesus is a hick from up north who doesn't know anything, didn't go to the right schools, and he's now down here and lots of people are listening to him. And so this, this Pharisee says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh in, I'm going to ask him some questions, I'm going to expose him for the, for the lightweight that he is, okay? So that's, what's, that's the setting. Behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher! What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's an important question, as I just said. Uh, we should be thinking about eternal life more than we do. This is a unique, you are living your life in a unique moment in light of history. People spend a lot more time thinking about the big questions than we do today. I mean, because death was much more present. We sort of stiff arm it. We don't pay a lot of attention to it. We put it off. We don't think about it. You couldn't do that before because it happened in your home. It happened much more frequently. And, and additionally, we're, we're, you know, we're binge watching Netflix as opposed to saying, who am I and what's expected of me and what happens when I die? The big questions that other people used to spend a lot of time thinking about, we're, we're not thinking about them. This is an important question. If you're going to live forever, then you ought to think about forever. Occasionally, invest a little bit more time in forever, right? It's, it's bigger than a vacation, right? It's forever. And so this guy asks an important question. What do I do to gain eternal life? Now, he asks it in a weird way. He says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And this is either brilliant or it's just odd. Because you would think, what do I have to do to get? What do I have to do to earn eternal life, right? Well, how do I secure that? So let's just pause and let me remind you that uh, we can't earn eternal life. We can't do enough good, right? We cannot get God under uh, obligation because of our moral or religious activity. That's not the way it works, right? Uh, that's religion. Religion is trying to reach up to God, trying to do things so that God will like us, trying to be better than we are worse, right? Trying to do all those kinds of things. That's religion. And Christianity says, yeah, that doesn't work. We can't, we can't get there. We can't be good enough. And, and, and what we do is we acknowledge that, right? Our response is humility and, and repentance. And it's, it's to say, I, I actually need help. So we, we, we get to that spot, and then we take advantage of God's love and grace and mercy. God comes down. That's the Christian faith. It's not this I do. I'm going to be good and religious. It's this he did. God sent his son down to secure for us eternal life. This week I was talking with a guy who, um, in the course of our conversation, I said, well, well tell me, uh, how are you doing? person's very new to spiritual things. How how are you doing? He goes, Well, not not well at all. I figured out I'm a jerk and uh and and that uh you know I'm selfish and I've been selfish and that uh you know I got I got issues. I've done i l I've done bad things. I don't even want to tell you about it. So I got I got problems. And I said yeah, good. Well, that, you know, God can work with that. that that's, a good, that's a good posture. So much better than when I ask somebody, how you're doing? And I've had people say, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I haven't sinned in like 25 years. <laughs> like other than that lie you just told me right there, you're okay. But, that, but there's just a level of self-denial, of just a lack of clarity about reality. And so, so we have to understand that a Christ follower, a Christian, someone who inherits eternal life is someone who is adopted by God into their family, right? When we call out to Christ— as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. As many as, as call out on Jesus, right, to say, I'm going to be a Jesus follower. I can't do this on my own. I can't be good enough. I'm broken. I need a Savior. Not just an example. He's an example. Not just a, not just a wicked smart person. He's wicked smart. But I need a Savior. And so uh, that's how we inherit eternal life. This guy asks the question. An important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus does what Jesus almost always does when he's asked a question, and that is that he turns it around and he asks three questions back at you. He controls the conversation by asking questions back. So the lawyer stood up to put him to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Well, what's written in the law? So the law is the the Old Testament. In particular, it's the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what he's referring to, the Pentateuch. So the book's written by Moses. It's the Mosaic Law. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible, he's referring to that. And in particular to the, the kind of code that was handed down by a god to Moses at Mount Sinai, so we're in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, there's a whole bunch of laws. Per the Old Testament, per the first century Jewish counting of those laws, there were 600. So uh, Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? How do you understand it? And the man answered, "Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he summarized the law in a, in a very common way. Uh, this is out of Leviticus as well. Sort of, a, This is the summary of the 600 laws. So that's what he gives. And uh, Jesus said to him, good answer. Uh, do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll have eternal life. Now, we're, we're missing the laugh track that would be playing at this point. Because basically what the guy has said is, be 100% perfect 100% of the time. And and Jesus goes, okay, right, good. You do that and you'll be okay. And and we we know that that this sort of uh, is coming unhinged because uh, it says that the next thing is that the guy's got to justify himself. So obviously Jesus sort of winks at the crowd, and you know he, it, it's obvious to everybody this is not as good of answer as he, as this guy thinks it is. And so the guy goes, oh my goodness, I you know I was taking on this country bumpkin. I thought I was gonna. You know, show him uh, up from down. And now he just won round one. So verse 29, desiring to justify himself, he says, yes, but who's my neighbor? Right? So Jesus, you're not quite as bright as you think because you don't understand the crux of this challenge is who's my neighbor? So Jesus at this point tells a story, a parable. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've been on this road. Jerusalem is way up high. It's on the top of a mountain. Jericho is pretty far down. It's not as far down as the Dead Sea, but it's way down. So Jeru- Israel has the lowest point on the planet under below sea level. The lowest point below sea level on the planet not covered by water. Okay, And and it's way lower than like Death Valley, and it's wicked hot. And so you're in Jerusalem, and then you come down, Jericho, you go a little bit further down, Dead Sea. When we were there, this last time I, I was leading a tour, we we we're, were coming up from the Dead Sea, uh, and and it 's like one hundred and seventy five degrees down there, and you you put the Dead Sea mud on you because supposedly it's it 's supposed to help you look beautiful, you know it 's got all these medicinal qualities. I think everybody puts it on there because they 're just trying to get out of the sun it 's like I i 'm just trying to get out of the sun. it is so hot, so we we get out of the Dead Sea, we get on the bus it 's one hundred and seventy degrees the air conditioning is not on the bus, and everybody is sort of, you know, turn the air conditioning on, turn the air conditioning Tell the bus driver to turn the air conditioning on. So I go to the bus driver. I said, can we, can we, can we get the air conditioning on? He said, no, because it is such a steep climb. The bus can either climb this hill or it can have the air conditioning on, but it can't do both because it is a steep hill, 17 miles from, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So going down isn't, all bad, uh, but you know you got to go up to Jerusalem, so you got that coming. But the problem also when you're coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho is it's a very windy road. And back then that meant that there were lots of places for bad guys to hide. And to come out, you come around a blind corner and there's a group of people waiting to rob you and uh, that's what happens. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So, this guy is beaten. He's lying on the road, unconscious, and it says, now by chance, a, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, uh, first century uh, Israel, Jewish life, very, very stratified. High, high class, low class, middle class, high class would include the priests. Lots of education, they spoke Hebrew, wealthy, wore a certain kind of clothes. And, and the high class doesn't mix with other people, right? So this priest walks by this guy, he sees this guy beaten, unconscious, naked, lying on the side of the road, and he doesn't stop, right? Now, perhaps, had the guy been wearing really fine clothes, had the guy been conscious and could have spoken to him in Hebrew, and he would have understood that he was an educated person, maybe the priest would have helped, but he doesn't. So, likewise, a Levite, this would be a sort of a religious leader, second class, not, not quite at the level of the priest. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, let's not completely throw these guys uh, under the bus because lots of times we don't want to get involved. It's too risky. And you can imagine them thinking, there's bad guys around here. I could, I could be beat up next, right? So keep moving. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So Samaritans— were the enemy of the Jews. Samaritans were half Jewish, half something else. It goes back 700 years when the northern ten tribes of Israel were being uh, overrun by the Assyrians. Some Jews escaped. Those Jews intermarried with the people around them. The descendants of the intermarriage between the Jews and others were Samaritans. The Samaritans showed up in Jerusalem... When the, nor, or when the southern two tribes came back from exile and had to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and all that, the Samaritans showed up and they said, well, we'll, we'll help you rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And the Jews said, no, you won't because you're not fully Jewish. You're not good enough for us. So that sort of kicks off lots of, lots of tension and ugly uh, racism. And so they hate each other. Very famously, the Samaritans and the, uh, and the Jews hate each other. So Jesus is telling a story. Let's just get this. Jesus is telling a story in which a pastor walks by and, and sees somebody beat up and in need of help and says no. And then a Jewish rabbi walks by and sees somebody in need of help and says no. And then here comes a radical Muslim cleric walking by. And he sees somebody needing help and he stops to help. All right, so this is like, oh my goodness, Jesus, you didn't read the memo. That's not. You shouldn't have the hero be the person you're about to have the hero be. So likewise, the Samaritan, uh, as he journeyed, came to him where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's medical care in the first century, such as you can get. Uh, then he sent him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii. This would be about 150 bucks. And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay uh, when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asks, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So let's, let's note, Jesus does not set up a scenario in which this lawyer, walks past a man that has been beaten, a Samaritan who's been beaten, and he has to figure out, should I care for this Samaritan? I'm asking, how do I get into heaven? How do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, what do you think? He goes, love God perfectly, love my neighbor perfectly. Jesus says, okay, good, you do that, you're fine. And then the guy says, but who's my neighbor? So you would think that that the debate is gonna be Like, do I have to help this beaten, broken man? That's not what Jesus sets up. What Jesus sets up is a situation in which this guy's broken and lying on the side of the road. And he says, now how do you want the people walking by you to define neighbor? Right? How do you hope they think about who my neighbor is? And the man says, "Um, well, I want the one who showed mercy on this man. So note, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. (laughs) It's set up. You got a priest, you got a Levite, you got a Samaritan. So which of those three? But he can't say the Samaritan because he just can't bring himself to say it. So he says, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So four quick observations from this passage. Number one, let's note that yet again, Jesus doesn't miss an opportunity to challenge the racism of his day. This guy, this, this religious leader, this Pharisee, wants to limit those that he loves to be like himself. And Jesus says no. And he, the story, the, the question that is asked of him, is not framed in terms of ethnicity at all. It would be easy for Jesus to leave all of that out. But Jesus sort of consistently finds ways to challenge the, the racism of his day and to elevate those that people were looking down on. So there's, there's not a, there's not a way that we're supposed to limit those that we love. He, he frames this in, in a different way. If he had had, the, if he had had the lawyer coming down there and he had a, had a Samaritan broken and beaten up, you can imagine that there's going to be a discussion saying, well, they brought it on themselves. Well, we can't help everybody. I mean, it's going to be a very different discussion. He changes it around. That's not the discussion that they're having. And he challenges the racism of the day. Number two, please note that he defines love in very practical ways. It is. It is medical care. It is, it is financial support. It is practical, get you back on your feet kinds of care. Right? It's, it's very challenging. We are, Jesus says, we're not to limit those that we love, and he is very specific in calling us to a pretty radical, holistic kind of love. And by the way, uh, and, and we, we see this even, uh, even today. As we're talking about uh, the Feed My Starving Children project last week, and we got 119 or so kids going out on mission trips, and we've got uh, life builders that is in here that we're working with. There's a lot of things to, to be excited about and to be encouraged by in terms of the service that goes on here. I'm, I'm generally encouraged. I mean, we got we got a lot of global stuff going on. We've got local stuff with the Matthew Homes and the Justice Center and the Hogs Program and the CARS Ministry and tutoring in, uh, through North Chicago Community Partners. There's a lot of really good things going on. So I don't want to suggest otherwise. I'm not trying to beat you up on this. There's a lot of good service going on. But it goes on, right? So it's not just that he says, no limits on who we love. The love is very practical. The, the point that many people miss about the Good Samaritan is that, is that we're the one that's broken lying on the side of the road, and Jesus is the Great Samaritan who stops and helps us. Right? Jesus is on his way to the cross when this conversation takes place. And, and, and later on, it will be pretty obvious, oh, wait, I'm sinful, I'm broken, I can't do what I need to do to go forward. And God shows up and at great cost to himself takes care of me and pays everything that needs to be paid so that I am debt-free, so that I gain eternal life, right? And this is the metaphor here uh, of, of God's love for us with the good Samaritan. Jesus is the great Samaritan. And then <clears throat> finally... I think we would, we would be missing out if we do, did not see that there is a level of risk that we are expected to take if we're going to follow Christ. It's not a safe life. That's not what we're promised. There, there it's risk-free that we don't have, to, don't have to take any chances. We're expected to care for people and we're expected to tell them about the Great Samaritan. That's sort of the assignment. Again, Jesus didn't have a, a marketing campaign. He didn't put up billboards, right? That's not the way. The church, which is now the 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 biggest, the most the the most global, the most ethnically diverse organization, institution, movement, whatever you want to call it on the planet, right? It 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 it's all word of mouth. That's the way it started. The first 300 years it was illegal to be a Christian. You couldn't put up a sign. There were no church buildings. All right, it's all just word of mouth. Somebody tells somebody else. And so we are encouraged. Part of, part of what it means to be a Christ follower is to love other people and then to pay it forward and to tell them about the great Samaritan. To invest in their lives and then invite them to take a next step with God. And over the next two weeks, we're going to unpack that even more. Right now, let me pray for us. Lord God, uh, we want to be uh, a church that is bold in proclaiming the good news of your love and grace and mercy and care. We want to be a church that is involved and in loving and very uh, big, bold, uh, practical ways. Guide us to that end. I pray that you would um, help us see friends, neighbors, colleagues, family members more as you see them. Help us to understand how big uh, the good news is. Help us to live today more in light of eternity than we are prone to. Uh, Guide us to that end. May we be salt and light. May we be filled with your spirit and empowered and emboldened in ways that sees your kingdom advance. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.